Welcome back, listeners. We're on another Ag Watchers podcast with a very special guest. Today we have Melinda Hashimoto from, oh, she's the CEO of uh, Egg Farmers of Australia. Um, so we're going to have a chat, all things egg-related, uh, heading into Easter, Andrew. And eggs are yep. very, very important very, very, part. Very, very, very topical at this they point. They are. So, so uh, we thought it would be a good chance to get uh, to get Melinda on. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, Melinda. We'll get you to give us a, a very quick summary of... Uh, you know, I guess I've, I suppose I've given it, but if there's anything else you want to add in terms of the role you uh, undertake at, uh, at um, Egg Farmers of Australia. Thanks very much for certainly having me, Matt and Andrew. It's great to be talking to you and to be able to talk a little bit about certainly uh, the egg industry. Um, you know, there's over you know 19 million eggs produced daily. Um, it's certainly very exciting being able to represent um, our farmers across the nation. Right. Oh, well, well. I know that you, you you've only just started listening to our podcasts, and and you started at the uh, at the first one, which I rec- would not recommend anyone she, she, does. She started at the very beginning. It's a very very good place to start, as uh, as you would have heard from the sound of music. Um, if you're a fan of the sound of music, Andrew. Definitely. So 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 you will have missed out our recent the sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. So so this is a highly. A highly skilled uh, team that we have here at uh, Ag Watchers, and we have psychiatrists on board, uh, not in the room just now, but but listening in. And so what we what we do is a sixth sense to work out whether you are compass mentis or not. Uh, so we're going to ask, we're going to fire a couple of words at you or sentences. Word association, it is. And, just a very and, quick, very and, quick thing to warm up. And we want to find out, uh, you know, a quick response from you on 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 what they are. On, on what you think of it. So Matt, you jump in. Free range eggs. Outdoors. Fried or poached. Boiled. <laughs> Scotch egg. That was my one. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch eggs. Um, luxury. Haggis. Um. An acquired taste. It's very diplomatic, isn't it? Um, input costs. Rising day by day. Organic eggs. Organic feed. Are they such a thing, organic eggs? Yes, organic eggs. Are they? Gosh. They're really, oh, really, expensive. really expensive, aren't they? Really yeah, expensive yeah, yeah, because if you think of those, if those inputs are high for normal eggs, organic ones are well. Are, my, are, my, mine are technically speaking, mine are organic eggs. I've got I've got chickens at home, uh, significant numbers of chickens actually. So I haven't actually purchased eggs for uh, probably a decade because I've got so many chooks and roosters in the in and around the farm. So, so, so Melinda, how many how many eggs do you have to produce to become a member? <laughs> So we've got really small members that are um, people that have got caravans um, and certainly there isn't a a set number um, for membership um, of Egg Farmers of Australia. Uh, Really, it's an annual fee, which is $55, um, and then people can pay a a voluntary levy of 4.5 cents per layer hen. So, of course, you've got the day-old chicks and it's only when they get... So 4.5 cents per layer. Yeah, hen, that's right. So So, so Matt would be paying what? About twenty-five cents. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got a few more layers in that, but um, when you so, said so, about, so, so, so that means Matt, 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 you could be, you could be a member of APL with the pigs. Yeah, and I could be a uh, member of. 
the egg, farmers of Australia. Uh, so you could you could be the bacon and egg man. I could, I could be. Um, just so, when, you so mentioned, before, when you when you mentioned about the caravan aspect, you said people have got caravans. You're referring to the chicken caravan that are used, not people living in caravans with chickens. No, no, definitely the ones that are certainly where um, the chickens can lay. So we've got mobile, mobile, um, you know, housing, mobile caravans are sometimes called. Um, and we've got people um, small right through to, you know, really large um, commercial players and members. So it's really, you know, great. I think that we've got a, a representation across the industry. Um, and certainly I think it's good that we've you know, can get out biosecurity information because that's the most important thing is, you know, having people across the board knowing about different, you know, poultry diseases and things that affect the industry so they can be more cautious and understand about what they can do um, in their situation. So when, when, before we got you on, you said, I hope you guys don't sing. <laughs> and and I was thinking, well, we, we can't miss out on some sort of singing because there is a lot of people calling for, for more singing in these podcasts. Uh, there's okay. also as a lot of people also said that they won't listen to the podcast if we keep singing. So so I thought I'd give it a shy, you know, oh. and I thought I'd make up some lyrics. I think what is the and I was thinking what is the most famous egg song out there? Oh, I believe there's a you know uh, a chicken song, but you know um, definitely the chicken dance has got to be the, by yeah, far the biggest. You, you got to remember Matt and I are quite classy individuals, and we like a bit of indie. So I thought I'd go with. She is the egg woman. The early egg woman. Matt is the walrus. Goo 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 choop. That's a that's a terrible that's a I like the that would have been better. But you had actually in all honesty Andrew, you had an actual you wanted to start off with a really serious question, didn't you? I do, I do. I want I want to get start like the question that is on everybody's lips when it comes to to your job. And probably you're the best qualified in the world to answer this one. And so I thought it was really important. We just get straight to it. We don't waffle around going through things about inputs and all that kind of nonsense. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, the most important question, the egg. <laughs> the egg. Okay. I think that's right. I think technically that's right because if you think about it, they were evolved from dinosaurs, right? So, so dinosaurs would have been around laying eggs before the chickens came around. Possibly. I'm, I'm sure you'll have people write in with their theories. <laughs> Good answer. We did. We are going to mention actually input costs because that's one of the we've, we've spoken about input costs quite a bit on the podcast. We've had a few really interesting people. Um, I think most recently was around that fuel, the issues with fuel when we had um, John Blackburn on. We've had fertilizer, big cost. Fertilizer, yeah. And and, but, when, and when and when we're talking about inputs, a lot of the time, it's it's growers, uh, not not growers of eggs, but growers of grain who who are concerned about inputs. And I had a discussion with somebody a few weeks ago, uh, and they said that grain wasn't an input, like <laughs> grain was an output. And I sort of actually mentioned that, well, actually, grain is an input into, into a pig farm, into an egg farm. So in an agriculture, we have people in, in the supply chain who are, who are farmers who are also using grains as an input. So what, what are you guys finding at the moment? Look, certainly across the board, costs have, you know, really um, driven up. And I think it's been not only the costs, but just other market factors that have really impacted, um, you know, egg farmers. But look, you know, basically the started pullets, which are the 16-week-old the pullets that start to lay, their price have, has gone up as well as all of the, the um, 
the ingredients that are going into basically their rations like wheat, soy meal, canola oil, um, you know, some of these costs have really doubled. Um, but it's it's on the back of you. You could say, well, look, you know, a lot of the agricultural industries, you know, have the same costs around wheat and things like that. But I guess, you know, egg farmers have really been hit by um, not only like, you know, flooding and mice plagues, but, you know, drought. And also we've had a situation where our actual standards and guidelines for poultry, um, which is, you know, what really will be the process for egg farmers to operate on going forward has been held up for years um, in government processes. So it's kind of like the perfect storm where we've got not only these factors of, um, you know, costs rising, but just also essentially a whole range of other factors feeding in um, natural disasters, as well as things like COVID, um, where, where farmers have had to pay huge amounts um, and they're really just not getting the return for all of these additional things that they're putting in. I've, um, with all that going on, I mean, you mentioned there about some of the regulations that have been increased, I guess, around biosecurity protocols that, you know, are constantly kind of having to, you know, increase, particularly with the likes of things like avian flu and stuff that, that gets around the place. Like we had a, near the pig farm a little while back, Andrew, there was an outbreak of something, I think there was a chicken. Was avian flu, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and, and that kind of caused but that, but that wasn't that wasn't eggs, though, was it? It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not sure if they're broiler hens or if they're eggs. Broilers. Actually. Yeah, yeah, they could be broilers. But um, I imagine it's the same same scenario, though. Wherever you're keeping large amounts of poultry, um, you know, there would be additional kind of layers of regulation that make things difficult too, you know, in terms of administration costs. Yeah, I, I think certainly, look, the biggest avian influenza um, uh, recent issue was obviously down in Victoria where there was, you know, 500,000 that were affected there. Um, and certainly, you know, a lot of um, the very big commercial farms have basically shower-in, shower-out facilities um, to try and essentially reduce that risk. But it, it is getting that information out to people um, to understand that, you know, some of these diseases and viruses that are around now just weren't around years ago. Um, and also, you know, the fact of using foot baths and the various things that you can do on farm um, or, you know, even within your, you know, people with backyard flocks, um, ensuring that you don't have heaps of people going in there all the time, um, that essentially it is only those that are looking after the hens. So it's, it's getting that information out because the virus and disease risk is going to be there and will increase um, and there's little that you can do when, you know, you've got wild birds that carry um, some of these things and we've got more birds that are going outside um, in free range situations. So, yeah, that's, that was actually, that leads into the next question I was going to ask, because you mentioned about free range eggs and I think your, your comment in the sixth sense was outside was the, that, what that brought to mind. And, and we are seeing that from a consumer perspective over the last couple of decades, there's been that move towards people yeah. wanting people wanting more free range, but that, that also means that the birds that are free ranging are going to be exposed to more potentials of virus or that, or that indeed you have see, a higher... See, I also had a discussion with an egg farmer once before, major egg farmer, I assume one of your members, um, this was years ago, massive producer of eggs, uh, and they said they, wouldn't, they would generally only eat caged eggs. Because they felt it was less salmonella risk with with cage versus. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Look, we need all the all the systems to meet demand. Um, but yeah, each of them have their you know their I guess um, pros and cons. Um, and of course, you can understand that if you've got birds in a um, a caged facility where essentially um, they're in an environmentally controlled you know more or less like room service where they've got air conditioning or heating and they've got 
being fed, you know, um, a few times a day, um, that's vastly different from birds that are outside ranging. Um, and obviously there is that association quite often after, you know, rain or things like that, where you do have wild birds coming into that water and it is a risk to your flock. So it's certainly um, right that there is, um, you know, people wanting all different types of eggs and certainly um, free range, but it does come at a risk um, of needing to look at the management. And quite often it really does come down to that management on farm um, for getting the best outcomes. What, what about... Know? So do you know? Uh, I was just going to ask Bob before we go off that topic of free range versus barn laid versus cage. Because I like, I like to get back to inputs. I think. Yeah, we will eventually. I'm just interested as a as an egg producer myself. Well, um, you're not you're not a member, so you don't actually deserve. Well, I've got. I was just doing the numbers before. I reckon I've got about 25, 25 laying hens. So. I might nearly be up there with some of those smaller producers. Um, now, I just wanted to ask: Is, you is know, your are, are, are your chickens regenerative? <laughs> yeah, well, they they have a. I've got very large chicken runs, and and I've got them all se separated separated out to different groups, so I can keep track of who's who. Because I'm breeding them as well, so I've got to keep the roosters apart. You know, well, just there you, like go. That. you you can be regeneratively regenerative agriculture, organic agriculture. Mm. And we can buy some caged eggs from nearby and then just mix them together, you know, blended, blended eggs. We got, no, we got, every, every half dozen we do has got one organic egg with five. I'm just called it like malt whiskey. It's, it's like a, well, it's, it's, it's single malt versus blended. We say it's and blended. blended. I wonder if there is a thing for blended organics. I don't know, but you're getting well, off topic because I want anyway, to yeah, ask. Anyway, yeah, I'm going on a tangent here. We're on a Hoiberg tangent. I want to ask Melinda, do you know the approximate so ratio or, or, or breakdown between in Australia, how, how many produced now in free range, how many produced barn laid, how many produced caged? Look, it used to be, um, you know, a few years ago that it was more or less kind of half and half of cage um, versus the, the barn and, and free range, but that has changed. Look, there has been a reduction in the number um, of cage um, sold in the, the major retailers. But we have to remember that, you know, the major retailers sell about 40% um, of eggs. So, you know, there is a vast number of eggs that are sold into hospitality, um, also sold out into... Industrial. Um, you know, essentially also, you know, they call it the box market, which is, is basically outside of the retailers, um, uh, along with, you know, your local um, fruit barns, um, you know, butchers, like it's it's amazing just the, the different retailers and quite often people will look at essentially the major retailers and say, oh, well, you know, there's been a reduction there in cage and that's true, but certainly um, there is other markets outside of the, the supermarkets as well. That was like, Andrew, remember when we were at that egg producer, um, they actually had um, pre-sealed kind of plastic bags that were full of like egg egg yolks egg yolk, well mi mixed yeah. up with the is it the albumin albumin or something the white stuff the white and the, and the egg mixed together and so it was like pre pre done like you'd use for scrambled eggs or something and they're in like like kind of two kilo plastic yeah, I think I think they also had like big IBCs with like one ton of egg stuff yeah that yeah. goes into the commercial yeah. commercial whether it's food service or into whatever other uses they use it or be going to factory making pizzas or something so. It also, you know, one of the really big, um, you know, areas that we saw a bit of a downturn, um, obviously, with COVID was, you know, a lot of that um, egg pulp um, that goes into essentially the cruise ships, you know. When mm. is, that, is that what it's called, egg pulp? 
Is yeah. Sort of, okay. So, yeah. you know, going into basically your cruise ships in the morning when you get your omelettes, that's all coming from egg pulp. So with the cruise um, ship industry where it, where it stopped for that period, obviously there was a, you know, a reduction in the amount of, of egg um, pulp that was being sold there. Um, so, yeah, you know, this, that's the thing. There's, it's quite interesting the number of, like, products that are available. Um, we do find that a lot of the, the bakeries nowadays tend to use, um, you know, powdered egg in, in mixes. So there's um, not as much sold, um, certainly from, from local small farmers who used to drop off to their bakeries. But there are still those that, that do use, um, you know, a lot of egg in manufacture. So there's a range of avenues. In terms of when, when you look at the, uh, the uses of it, yeah, like you've got a big market there. Obviously, COVID has impacted it because of food service and and, and whatnot. Yeah, but we've also we've had a volatile time in the last let's say the last five years with inputs. Yeah. Yes. Inputs are high just now, but they're probably not actually as high for for a lot of farmers as maybe 2018, 2019, when we had where the big drought and Australian grain prices went went through the roof. But what do what do egg farmers as an organisation and egg farmers individually? Are they doing much in terms of managing their price risk? Look, I think certainly where possible, a number of our egg farmers do try and take um, kind of longer term contracts to really be able to kind of lock in some of their costs. But there are certainly just these other costs, um, really, Andrew, that are just out of control Um you know, that they have no bearing on. I mean, you know, mice plague, they get into the electrics and damaged machinery and that has to be replaced, um, you know, or a downturn where, you know, we've got some farmers that do grow their own grain and then they've got no grain, um, you know, during the drought. So I think it's, you know, when we talk about input costs growing, going up, some people feel that this is kind of something that's happened in the last couple of weeks. You know, that's not the case. This has really been kind of over a, a four-year period. And what it means is that essentially if the, the farmers are not making, um, you know, a profit for their return, well, then we're getting a higher level of, of debt ratio as well. Um, and, you know, the long-term effects is it, you know, it could be essentially a situation where we have that, except, you know, contracting, um, you know, or, or I guess reduction of, um, of farms similar to the, the dairy, you know, industry. Surely, sure, surely... Melinda, over the last, say, decade or so, those prices have been rising steadily that the egg producers would have been able to pass those rising costs on um, via higher prices for their eggs, I would have thought, would it be the case? Yeah, I, I think really in a lot of um, situations, you know, it's, um, it comes back to, you know, the competition within market um, makes it a bit difficult because under the ACCC rulings, we can only talk about production costs rather than and the retail costs. Um, but I, I do, you know, believe that a lot of the egg prices are really at this stage remaining at the levels around like what they were in the in the 90s. So that's quite alarming when you think we've got all these other costs that are being added on, but the return's not coming back to the farmers. And at the same time, um, you know, there is a push from the major retailers uh, from 2025 that they won't sell any caged eggs in their supermarkets. Um, and that forces... Um, farmers to then consider about, you know, what they're going to do in the transition, um, possibly from caging to other systems. And that all costs, of course, a lot of money. And a lot of our machinery is imported from um, Europe. So you've got that additional cost on top as well. It's a bit like the um, the chicken meat game. I did a piece for uh, Thomas Aldermarkers a little while back looking at the retail price of chicken meat compared to the retail price of beef and lamb over the last, say, three decades. And, and pretty much, for, for, largely, the chicken meat one's been a pretty much a flat, 
a flat horizontal line of a, at around the five dollars a kilo mark you know, with some small variations but only marginal but, and so but, their their price hasn't changed and you're saying for the egg producer that the, the price they're selling for is pretty much the same it's been flatlining while all these other costs have been going up so they've just had to continue to get more and more efficient i presume to be able to, to be able to keep up that's exactly it. I mean, look, you know, there's obviously niche market people that, um, you know, produce a small amount and they get a, a you know, a much higher um, price for their product when they might be selling in locally. But generally speaking for, you know, um, the majority of eggs that are produced um, for everyday Australians that get, you know, sell through the main retailers, it is the case that there needs to be a higher amount paid for eggs and, and the appreciation of, I guess, all the work that goes into to building their protein um because that that really is something that's worthwhile for people that are on really tight budgets um eggs are a really good um meal um and i think that you know um we need to to lift that that pricing essentially at the consumer uh level so it is passed back to the farmer so so i guess that's one of the concerns that is is around at the moment is is cost of cost of production yeah but when when you look at it i guess i would say like a lot of pig farm pig farms and egg farms use them both similar because the similar sort of ideas about 60% of the cost for each of those would be grains basically yep. um, but I still don't know whether there's that much knowledge or that much effort spent on that grain market price point of view because there's, there's plenty of ways that in the last year the reason why we've had high price over the last couple of years is because 2018-9, it was all based on what's happened locally. The last year, it's based on what's happening overseas. <clears throat> yeah. But there's opportunities to protect against that volatility, whether it's using futures, whether it's um, you know strategic uh, strategic pricing and relationships. But I'm not sure how many are actually doing that and how, how many are actually actively looking at the wheat market. Whereas, obviously, you concentrate on what you know. You sort of stay in your lane, which is eggs, and uh, you might not concentrate all that fully on on the grain market because it's not your area. Whereas I would say a chicken egg chicken and egg farm is basically just a grain buyer that produces eggs. Well, and they're converting it. they're converting grain into another form of protein. Yeah, absolutely, so, or hmm. more oil seeds as well. But hmm. but I think it's like, it's interesting uh, that it's a big concern, and and obviously trying to get the consumer to pay more is going to be difficult because there's going to be a lot of inflationary pressure in the next year. Um, speaking of which, like I, I looked at my uh, my car. I bought my car in 2018 for $39,000. Is this another Hoiberg tangent? It's another Hoiberg tangent, but I'm using right. it as an example. Yeah, okay. I paid, paid 39000 for my car in in 2018. I've done about 70,000 kilometers in it, give or take. And it's now worth 54000 which is crazy. Yeah. Like I've, I've made 20 cents a kilometer. Uh, but the reality is that everything's getting more expensive. Uh, but food is one of those things where we don't really spend that much money on food in Australia. The average consumer spend on food is about 10% in, in Australia. Different if you're in the developing world where it's more like 50-60%. But here, food isn't a major issue. And I guess that is convincing the consumer to pay more shouldn't be that difficult. Because if they paid, went from 10% to 12%, you're not even going to notice it. The average, the average sort of middle class sort of person won't notice the extra spend. But how do you convince them that they need to buy, pay more for eggs? 
Well, I think it really does come back to essentially the, the buyers being prepared to spend that bit more um, and particularly those that are wanting this transition away um, from, from CAGE into other uh, systems, like that has to be paid for. And there's been a lot of restructures in the industry that the farmers have paid for themselves when there's been changes to cage sizes and things like that in the past. And I think it's really a matter of, well, um, that investment can't be just borne by the, the farmer, um, you know, wholly. As you say, you know, the small amount when you go and buy your eggs um, each week at the supermarket, if it goes up a little bit, um, I think that people would be prepared to, to pay a little bit more. Um, you know, it does jump greatly if you're looking at um, essentially the difference between cage barn and free range for those in hospitality. Um, you know, there can be some, some really big jumps there, and I understand that. But if we really do want egg farming to continue in Australia and to be able to get, you know, fresh table eggs, um, it's really important that we can, we can keep, you know, family farms going. Um, and also from a biosecurity situation, if you have, you know, a huge, um, huge farms in one area and something does happen, um, like we've seen with the outbreaks, well, then you don't really have a backup. And that situation was really clear here where I live in central Queensland, you know, when the, the flood situation happened and food couldn't get through and they couldn't get trucks through and there was problems with the rail line and whatnot, you know, it was our local farmer um, who was able to provide, you know, eggs into the various outlets when eggs couldn't come from further down south. If that farm doesn't exist, it will be a situation where there just won't be any eggs on the shelf. So we really need to make sure that we're looking after, you know, um, having local farming and having those backup for the, the, you know, the situation when there's natural disasters and also biosecurity outbreaks. I think that's that can only be a sensible thing. Does does here's a sort of thought I've always had before, and I think we spoke about it before, Matt. Mm. Uh, it might have been in the pub though. Mm. But <clears throat> does the consumer actually want free range eggs, or well, does the supermarket think the consumer wants free range eggs? Well, who, what, what what's coming first, the chicken or the egg, when it comes to free range? Well, I guess you know the easiest way is that it should be market driven. So if consumers all want one particular system and they all want free range eggs cage eggs won't exist anymore um, but we're still seeing sale of caged eggs so obviously consumers do want caged eggs so although um, there may be people out there kind of saying that everyone only wants one system um, if that was the case there wouldn't be sales of, of caged eggs continuing so it really should be market driven and essentially the investment that needs to go into um, free range means that that's not necessarily going to see people move to that system. We've also got um, farmers who are landlocked. So they're in a situation where they have a cage facility and they're not able to build a free range facility because of you know, where their farm is located. To move to another farm from finding the land to going through all the approvals um, to then building it um, in some states can be up to six to eight years. So, you know, that forward planning long term um, has to be taken into consideration. And there's also other farmers who have cage facilities that are nearing retirement age um, and certainly wouldn't be able to get capital from the bank to then go into another system. So this idea of, um, you know, some of the, the major retailers of not having caged eggs, um, if that was the case and there wasn't other avenues for them to sell to, it would mean um, that essentially it would be a, a, essentially an exit from the industry. So this is where I come back to what, what Matt was saying about, you know, our standards and guidelines. Currently, egg farmers work under what's called the model code 
but for about seven years we've been working on trying to get our standards and guidelines through now the government is considering um you know timing around having a a phase out of of cages but certainly with the situation of avian influenza globally across the the world we're seeing hens being locked up because of disease risk um and i, I really think it's you know uh, to use essentially, you know, the, the pun, we shouldn't have all our eggs in the one basket. So there's a whole range of factors really that need to be considered. And I'd hate to see a situation where there was a basically a, a egg farmers being forced to move out of one production system into another, only to find in years to come that we've got it all wrong. And really, um, then they're trying to revert back to something that they can control the supply a bit more. I guess from my point of view, I, I see it as about efficiency. And, and I, I sort of see that the reality is we want to produce more from less. We want to produce high volumes of food that's, you know, nutritionally good, healthy for, for a growing population. And when you think about it, how many eggs get produced in a hectare of free range eggs, chickens versus a hectare of shed? It's going mm. to be multiple multiples of, of, of the free range. And I guess that's where I see it. But going back to like this sort of anecdotally, from my point of view, uh, when I look in coals, there's never any caged ones because they're always sold out straight away. And and I, I live in a what would you consider it, Matt? Probably low socioeconomic town. Uh, a scummy uh, place, you mean? Yeah, a scummy place. Like it's still better than anywhere in Scotland, but it's it's still pretty scummy. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's gentrifying. It's yeah, it called is, gentrifying. I was I was having a go. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite a nice regional town. But. Yeah, you, you, people people aren't going to pay more for free-range eggs. But I'm just looking on a Coles website, and it's actually quite interesting to see the difference in price. It's not that much. Like fr- farm-fresh caged eggs, one dozen, $3.80. Coles eggs, free-range 12-pack, $4.10. Is this, this isn't an advert. For, this isn't an advert. For, we don't do adverts on here, do we? This is an advert. Sorry, I, I didn't mean Coles. I meant uh, a local supermarket. Down, uh, down, down, prices are down, 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 down. prices it, are down. S- Sunny Queen organic eggs, uh, 12-pack, uh, $11. So fairly substantial premium when it goes to organic, like more than double, which obviously is the amount of input costs in them is astronomical. So, but 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 three eighty for a dozen versus four ten, it's not much, 30 cents. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't know what the price of food is, but that doesn't seem to be all that much. It's not a. It's not a. It's not going to change that many people's opinions. But I did speak to somebody a couple of years ago, a prof- uh, lecturer at Adelaide Uni, I think it was, or maybe maybe Melbourne. Doesn't really matter. Uh, but they were doing sort of um, as a student, they were doing those tests. You know, like the questionnaires outside the supermarket, uh, asking people questions as they leave the supermarket. You know, would you would you only buy free range eggs? Blah blah blah. Are you GM? Like. And, and she, they would say, oh, I would definitely never, ever buy caged eggs as a quick ticket. But then as she's walking past, she'd look in the trolley and there'd be caged eggs. So, so when you're doing that sort of thing of, uh, of opinion polling, there's a lot of sort of people will say things even though they don't actually do it. Yeah, I've heard that of a, of a range of um, things, I guess you know, kind of trying to have that linkage with the consumer is is really important. And I know, 
um, our research development corp Australian Eggs has done a basically a, a sustainability um, framework report each year, looking at you know what consumers are thinking around a range of things, where whether it be you know animal welfare, um, you know the livelihoods of the farmers and economic viability, um, and really we've found that there has been an increase, I guess, in the the trust and understanding of the egg industry. Um, it's difficult sometimes because you'll see different ads. Um, that are not representative of our industry. Um, and that's kind of very hard to kind of counter and get the, the word out there to people. But the old, you know, um, single cages of one bird in a cage, they just don't exist anymore. We use conventional cages, which has five or six birds in, in the cage and there's room for them um, to move around. Um, so certainly, you know, um, sometimes the image of what's in people's minds versus actually what really um, is the situation is quite different and, and it is getting harder because you can't, you know, have a whole heap people trundling through to go and look at the farms. And I know that over the years, some farms have looked at, you know, putting in platforms and viewing platforms and things like that, essentially for people to be able to see, um, you know, the systems. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it comes back to that, you know, you'll always have people that are really informed and others that are trying to learn and understand um, what, it, what it actually is when they pick up their product. I think don't give a monkeys. Or to like, add to that. How some... many, how many people, sorry, Matt, but how many people actually give, like, I, I maybe I'm just different. You're, you're different because you like food and stuff, Matt. I just, I just like to eat. But I don't need to know about where my food comes from, so I, I don't give a monkeys. Like, we're, as long as they look okay. But I'm just looking again. Sorry, Matt. I was just looking at the supermarket here. Yeah, the well-known supermarket brand, and I was a bit perplexed. Vegetarian down, egg down, prices down, are down. Down, down. Uh, vegetarian eggs. So I guess that the the you know. There is um, some people that don't want to eat, you know, um, an egg product that has meat meal um, linked in. Uh, but you're real, but you're real. I don't, I don't understand this because you're eating basically an embryo, or not embryo, but you're eating a, an egg from an animal. Animal product. Like, animal product, but you want it to have been fed a vegetable diet. Like, that's nonsense. That's, that's, that's nonsense on stilts, as we'd say in Scotland. So that gets me on to my next question. Hang on, before you go, because the other, the other point I was going to make was there are some people that, that actually are trying to misrepresent what's happening as well. If you've got, a, if you've got an agenda um, that, you, that you don't want to see animal production in any form for some of those radical types, um, they wouldn't care what the scenario is of how good the welfare standards are. Ah, whatever. They're, they're just going to misrepresent it as much as possible and pull out a, a picture from overseas or a picture from 20 years ago or longer. That shows you know, these poor. Yeah, old but you can never. You can. We spoke about this before, Mark. You can never change the extremist view. But they still can influence people that don't know the uninformed, right? Yeah, That's but the av the average the average you know blue collar worker like me, you know, sort of <laughs> that doesn't care about where it comes from and what it is. I just I just finished work. All I want is a bacon sandwich, bacon and egg sandwich. I don't give a monkey's where it comes from as long as it tastes nice and it's affordable. That's the average person. You know, I know Matt. Matt's obviously extremely wealthy, and he's all about you know, free range this and free range that and blah blah blah. But that's different. But but the likes of me, you know, a millennial, a millennial. You know, I've got a, I've got a. If I want to ever want to be able to afford a house, I've got to, you know, watch my my belt, so to speak. You mean but, someone someone that's someone that's struggling to to try and make the hens meet, try and make hens meet. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a cracking joke. <laughs> but going, going back to this veget, <laughs> going back to these vegetarian eggs, yeah, oh, which which really perplex me. From from just, we should get them on, and just get them to do the sixth sense on that product. But is there, we we know that there's there's a sort of a big thing with the likes of fake meat. Fake bacon, fake prawns, fake scallops, fake fake tofu, whatever it is. There's loads of fake meats, fake versions of everything nowadays. Yeah, is, yeah. is I was just thinking that you like one of the things that Matt and I have said about before is with fake beef. Yeah, one of the big products that come from beef, beef is burgers. Yeah, and burgers is a kind of minced meat, effectively, and a lot of burgers are cheap. And you could feasibly, at some point in the future, once the product gets good enough, you could replace mincemeat with fake meat, which, in theory, could be cheaper. Uh, but that, but if that was replaced, that would remove a big chunk of the overall sales. And that could that could negatively impact upon meat demand. Very similar with eggs, in that you've got a percentage of eggs that go to the retail, and it's in a little hard shell and whatnot. And I've got another question about eggs as well coming up, uh, but the the reality is that the you've got all that stuff going into the McDonald's into a bucket of eggs or whatever, and the uh, the cruise ships all types of where it's industrial scale sort of stuff. The egg pulp, that, the egg pulp, egg, stuff, egg pulp. Yeah, could that be replaced by a fake egg protein? And is that a risk that you guys see? Because I, I, I know there is fake eggs, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And look, there's um, you know, a number on the on the market. I have to say to you, you know, when they first tried to go and bring someone in the capital city because they just don't sell anything like that out in the bush here. Um, yeah. you know, we get the real deal. But um, I, I guess the biggest thing around that, um, you know, the concern that we could kind of see was you know, are, are people really understanding that the product that they're getting does not have the same nutritional value, um, you know, as the real the real egg, the real so, deal? So it's all about, it's all about, market, to, all about marketing. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm yet to see a product that is a fake egg product that provides the same nutritional value. Um, you know, there has been a few other products that have um, been released um, and, you know, I, I just can't see that that can replace essentially um, the actual, you know, ingredient. So it is a, it is a, um, um, a risk in maybe a reduction of people eating egg. At the same time, I think, you know, the demand for protein um, with increasing population um, also means that, you know, um, yeah, that product, you know, will remain to exist while people want it. So, um, yeah, certainly it's, it's there as an alternate, but I, I do tend to think that um, with increasing protein demand, we'll still we'll still have people that are wanting wanting to eat plenty of eggs, and I just can't see that it can replicate, um, you know, in the nutritional area what a what a real egg does. It's a good point you make, Melinda, that because um, I know like having the the knowledge out there or the or you know people you know knowing exactly what's in each of those different products whether they're a fake meat or fake egg product versus the real product i know a couple of decades back there was um some some narrative around eggs being high in cholesterol um which which was you know and, and i know through that time i think it did cause a lot of reduction in demand for eggs because people were saying you know you shouldn't eat too many eggs in a week or whatever but that's been debunked you know quite a few years back but i, I think that narrative still that kind of false narrative still persists in some areas is that 
are you finding that the common knowledge is now that eggs are actually, a, like you said, a nutritious, um, you know, healthy uh, food option? Or yeah, is it still... I think certainly, Matt, like there's been that change. Um, you know, the Heart Foundation came out and said, you know, it's okay, okay to eat, you know, eggs every day. Um, but you, you're totally right. I, I do think that, you know, that kind of information that was going out both, um, you know, in kind of even the medical um, area with with giving advice to people, um, it's taken a while for that to, to more research to be done and to be turned around. Um, so I think, you know, um, we are now seeing that there is increased consumption. So, you know, really people are eating 247 eggs, um, essentially is kind of the, the number of consumption, um, you know, and we, we would obviously like to, to see it get up to that stage where people kind of are eating an egg, you know, every day. I think there's also been a real change from thinking that eggs are more of a, um, a breakfast thing only to now being used for, you know, inclusion in, in lunch and dinner. Um, so, yeah, I think trends change over time. Um, I, I'd certainly agree with that. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's a, I didn't realise that was, so the statistic you said there was at 247 eggs, is that per capita per annum eaten in Australia? That's right, yeah. Gosh, that, that, that surprised me it's a size up, but I guess so. But that's an all, all, all the products you are using, all the products you eat have eggs in them. There's not many products uh, that yeah. don't, don't, like if, you, if you're going to buy a, all of those chico rolls you buy or, you know, when, you, when you're out on the road and you're stuffing yourself with, you know, various sort of things. They're all got eggs in it. Everything's got eggs mm. in it. Donuts. One of, Donuts have got eggs of, in them. Yeah, well, I, I, get, I get that. I was just thinking as you were saying it too. Chocolate. Chocolate's got eggs in it. A lot of people have have two eggs when they have – they usually have an egg. Often you'll have two, you know, or maybe more, depending upon who you are. But um, but I guess that makes sense when you think of it that way. Then if you're doing one – it's not necessarily one, one egg, I, I, egg I per meal. I, I don't eat eggs. I don't, I don't particularly like – the only time I like eggs is on that – Turkish dish with the mince, spiced mince with an egg mm. on top of mm. it. Uh, but other than that, I would never eat egg. Everything else on... is mixed in. Oh, it's right? mixed in. I don't need it when it's mixed in with stuff. Because I, the only time I used to eat eggs was when we were on that keto diet. Oh, yeah. The ke- and I was yeah. eating so many eggs because that was well, a good about, way of getting fat and protein. A, what about when you're having a traditional English breakfast with eggs and pudding and sausage? I can eat the egg, but I, I'm not a fan of egg. I just don't. I'll, I'll, I'll force it down. Right, yeah. well, one thing so I'm I apologize, interested in, I apologize for that. One thing I'm interested in, actually. With I, I, do like to, a, I do like a cream egg. Yeah, well, those, I was just thinking of those specialty eggs. Like we spoke about scotch eggs at the start, which I think you called luxury. I think that's fair. Fair point. They're very luxurious eggs, and a, Scot- a traditional Scotch product. They're always, you know, Scots are synonymous. I, well I, I think it's actually English, but then anyway. Is it? What's it, what's it called? A Scotch egg, but I just thought luxury product. Most food-based products from Scotland are luxury products, aren't they? Well, like, most, ha- ev- everything that is produced in Scotland is quite luxurious. Is, is luxury. <laughs> but myself, just, myself included. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's not egg, you know, Scotch egg. Thinking you can, you, of, but you, um, you, you can get deep fried cream eggs in Scotland. Dear me, that's uh, all the food groups in that one. And, um, but, they, but they do have a Scotch egg in Scotland that I saw when I was back there, which was instead of the bacon, it was the egg wrapped in donor meat from a kebab yeah. and then deep fried. Anyway, another variation, on. another variation. I was just thinking of some uh, of those. That's, that's, why we, that's why we live forever in Scotland. <laughs> Luxury, because you preserved. 
the luxury egg products. I'm thinking of another luxury egg product. Do those um, those Kinder Surprise eggs that have the toys inside? Do they feed the toy to the chicken to be able to get it inside the egg, or um, is yes, there another method? Kind. Oh, this comes. This is almost coming back to the the question around whether the bunny's stealing the eggs from the hen at Easter time. To be honest, Matt. <laughs> But look, Easter time's just around the corner. We are really hoping that we're going to have, you know, good uptake, lots of eggs. Um, a lot of the different, you know, cultures do different things with eggs at Easter. You know, the the, the red um, painted eggs. Um, yeah. So I, for, for Greek Easter, I was just thinking, I was, I was, I was going to ask you a, a proper question around Easter is, um, is, there, is there actually a seasonality to egg demand in Australia? Like, do you have periods of time, like, you know. Christmas, get- surely when you get more demand for eggs or less, you know, through, through certain times of year because of those types of festivities and that? Yeah, look, certainly, yeah, Easter and Christmas obviously are, are the major ones. Um, and, you know, January is really quite interesting too because January is normally seen as a bit of a quieter month, but you do get that uptake um, certainly when kids are going back to school. And I think, um, you know, an egg in the lunchbox um, is something that's kind of added in. So, you know, I would say through the rest of the year it's fairly steady, but you do get those kind of increases around, um, you know, Easter and, and Christmas time. You don't have the tradition here, do you, of rolling eggs? What, as a sport? No, as, as Easter tradition, Easter like Sunday. The, the rolling of the eggs like they do at the US, um, you know, outside Capitol, in, down Capitol Hill, they do the rolling what? of the eggs. What's that? So, What's so that? In, in, in Scotland, uh, we, we, paint, we boil an egg. Yeah, and we we paint them. So you decoratively paint them, and then you roll them down a hill until they break, and then you eat them. If they if they're hard boiled, they they wouldn't break that easily, would they? No, the the shell will crack off of it. Yeah. So you keep rolling them down until the shell comes off. Right. Um, and then you eat them. No, not not really a, a tradition, Andrew. Here, it's more the the painting of the eggs. I think for the decorational purposes and the Easter, you know, the Easter egg hunt is. The- Oh yeah, and so so I, one of the things I I, wanted, I found fascinating about eggs is you can you can feed different f- uh, inclusions in the diet to change the color of the yolk. Yeah, so yeah. you you can make purple egg yolks if you wanted. If you put in oh what's that what's that lavender? I think it's lavender. You can make a purple you can make a purple yolk is what I heard, and you they, they put a like a sunflower sort of thing in it. Is this a, is this an urban myth or is this something? No, this is, I'm pretty sure this is true. I think it's fair. Dangerous. Like you, you get more yellow egg if you put certain feed products into it. Like, um, yeah. yeah, that's certainly right. There's certainly some natural um, things that can be put into the feed to to give a colouring to the yolk. I think the other thing too that's so, really but, yeah. so that's that's my next question. So does that mean like up like basically from about January till now you're feeding them loads of chocolate in order to make Easter eggs? <laughs> If only, if only, Andrew, if that was the input and we didn't have to worry about the grain, uh, yeah. farmers might be kind of better off, um, certainly. But look, that you're, you're right in, um, you know, the, the ingredients into yolk. The other thing is they've found that there's different um, things like, you know, um, oregano and, and, and things that can actually boost the immune system of the hen to help it against disease. Um, so I found that really quite interesting too. That As in what, the, the herb, so there's the herb that goes into the feed? Yeah, like in and oh, okay. looking at different kind of like herbs and and additives that can actually add and boost the immune of the of the hen. So like that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, it's fascinating just the research that's being done on on improvements like all the time. 
just getting back to like we, we kind of talked we've talked about InfoCost without going into depth in it any further. But um, is, is there a serious like you mentioned about if we if we don't see an increase to you know the price flowing back to farmers for eggs, um, is is there a real concern that we're going to see people exiting the sector and we're going to you know eventually not have enough domestic supply or or do you think you know do you think that that, that this can be resolved and we can get the suitable price increases to to make the industry sustainable? Look, definitely um, I am concerned about people exiting. Um, I do not think that it is by any... Is that another, is that another pun, exiting? Of the... of the Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I do think, though, in all seriousness, you know, I've heard from about um, four people in the last couple of weeks that are saying, look, if things are not going to improve, they are not going to be able to continue. So, you know, that really gives us um, a really good understanding that, like, people are in, in dire straits. And probably if I can run through a few of the figures, um, you know, started pullets have gone from $10 to $12 in the last year, wheat from $280 a tonne to $370, soy meal from $600 to $1,000, canola oil, $1,200 a tonne to $2,900 a tonne, meat meal, $680 a tonne to $880, and then the finished ration from $400 to $580. So that just gives you a really good understanding of just how those um, prices have have jumped and then of course all of those other things that we spoke about on top like your PPE for COVID um, and essentially trying to kind of build in that resilience that you can can you know kind of get ahead um, rather than being almost some of the farmers are saying look we're kind of three years behind where we should be when it comes to looking at um, you know increasing our our payments um, into the farm into the banks. Look, I think it's mm. I think it's an interesting one eh, because from from our point of view, a lot of a lot of focus on the industry is on the farmer, but the focus is on the farmer, i.e., a grain grower or a cattle producer. There's not that much focus, and there's not that much uh, impression in the industry that somebody who owns an intensive or or production agriculture like chickens, eggs, or pigs is actually a farmer, and 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 you know they are impacted by these high input costs. So so whilst you know farmers will will make good coin who are producing grain throughout the supply chain there is an impact and and to be honest um from from a grain growers point of view you actually want a domestic and a strong domestic grains market because that tends to give us a fairly good premium above you know overseas values if we are solely an export market you know we wouldn't have some of those good basis levels that we have experienced again so i guess to end it we're sort of getting close to the time uh, let's hope that you know all the king's horses and all the king's men can put the egg industry back together again that would be wonderful look it's been fabulous <laughs> talking to you andrew and matt i really appreciate your time and um yeah it's been fun to just have a bit more of a chat um heartedly on the egg industry it's been a it's been a cracking podcast andrew as you said before i only just got that joke the second time you said it so um fantastic thanks thanks for coming on melinda and um i hope everyone's uh learned some new things about the egg uh, industry and um see you when you get nothing on andrew ciao for now thanks so much have an excellent day